this morning as we are finishing up our series in the book of Zechariah. So you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles there. We'll be in Zechariah chapter 9 and 13 this morning. Zechariah is the next to last book in the Old Testament. So if you need a couple seconds to get there in your Bibles, I'll give you a couple seconds to get there. Uh, we've got some great stuff we've been talking about over the past few weeks as we've been going through this book together, studying what it is that God has for you and I, how God is drawing us back to himself. In the first week we were together, we talked about how God is calling us back to himself very specifically as the exiles were coming back from Babylon, back to Jerusalem. As a picture of that, God says, you're coming back to the, the, to the city, to the land, come back to me as well. Do not abandon your relationship with me. And then the next week we talk about how God was saying, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Draw near to God. Don't abandon your relationship with him. Week number three, we talk about how we are the apple of God's eye. We are forgiven. We are forgiven. He, all that he did for us, he wants us to embrace the forgiven status that we have as his children and not feel and not walk in the guilt that, that Satan wants us to walk in, not walk in discouragement, to not walk in frustration. Then we talked about in week number four, how we're to obey the voice of God. We're talking about catching the wind, right? And how the, the sailboat's got to catch the wind. And no matter how much wind is there, if you're an experienced sailboat captain, and you know what you're doing, you can catch the wind to make your boat move and no matter how much wind is out there. Last week, then we talked about how God desires us to have an authentic faith. Not a fake faith, an authentic faith from all of his children to come to him in humility, come to him on our knees, and to acknowledge him. So the first eight chapters here in Zechariah were really all kind of pointedly talking to the children of Israel and to us about this relationship that God desires with us. The rest of the book, verses 9, chapters 9 through 14, the prophecies that are there, the oracles that are there, that Zechariah is bringing out, are in, in great form. They're eschatological. In other words, they're talking about the end times. They're looking forward to what's going to happen, even beyond our time here. They look forward to the Messiah's arrival, his first arrival, but also his second coming as well in the future. And so we're going to kind of sum up that those last five chapters this morning and asking ourselves, who is the Messiah? Who is he? What is he like? And what happens at the end? Because I can tell you in the end, we know this, God wins. God wins. No matter what happens in this world, no matter how much Satan desires to frustrate us and keep us discouraged, we know that God wins in the end. It's already been written, right? We've already, if you've read the last chapter of, of Revelation, you know that God wins. It's already been done. The battle's already been fought. The battle's already been won. We just got to go through the process of getting there. And Zechariah is kind of in that mold talking about that, how we are to embrace this idea that the battle's already won. Don't live in defeat. Embrace what God has for us in his winningness. Is that a, was that a word? In, in, in his winning, in his, in his conquering of, of death and sin and death, and his conquering of Satan and all that we have that's around there trying to keep us 
discouraged and depressed and frustrated with this life, to embrace the power of God in our lives. When you read through, I hope that you will read through the rest of this book over this next week or two. And as you read through this, you're going to see it 18 different times over the next five chapters where God says, on that day, on that day when I appear, on that day when the Messiah comes, on that day when the, the Lord arrives and appears on the scene, on that day this will take place. We can rejoice because it's not just guys just not just about judgment. A lot of times when you read the minor prophets, and even the first eight chapters here of Zechariah, you can think that God's all about judgment and, and coming down on sin and hard. But he's so much more than that. His grace and his mercy, he desires to shine through. He desires to bring us out of that sin in our lives and to help us heal the brokenness in our own hearts. Those things in our lives that we've keep, kept hidden from him. So as we look this morning in Zechariah chapter 9, we're going to look first at verses 9 through 12. So follow along with me if you would. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having a salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Does that remind anybody of any passages of the New Testament? He verse goes on in verse 10, says, Thou will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle of the bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. He shall rule from the sea, from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. And for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the warless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you the This is our God. This is our King. This is our Messiah coming to deliver us. Coming to deliver his people. Because in the end, as I said before, in the end we know he wins. He wins. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords coming to free His people, to deliver us from sin, from death, from the bondage that we have placed ourselves in. This is what the people have been looking forward to for generations. This King, this Deliverer. The people of Israel, from the time of Genesis chapter 3, when God first promised the Messiah, God promised them, I'm going to send a Savior, and He's going to free our people from their sins. I'm going to restore this relationship to you once again. They've been looking forward to the, to the Messiah's coming for generations upon generations upon generations. And here's Zechariah is reiterating that. Look what he says there first time. He says, Rejoice greatly. Shout in triumph and look. Be ready. Those are the commands he gives to his people. The commands he gives to us. We're to rejoice that God is already on the throne. Rejoice that God has already won the war. Shout, Hosanna. Shout mightily. Shout aloud. Don't keep your voices down. If you can come here this morning and sing, 
Ever seen you like a mouse? Something's wrong. Doesn't matter what you sound like. Doesn't matter if you sound beautiful like angels, like anyone's up here on the platform, or you sound like me, squawking from the front row. That's why they don't let me up here on the platform. Who said amen? We're to shout and praise God for what he has done and what he's going to do. And then he says, look, behold, your king, your king is coming. Look for the coming Messiah. Are you aware? Are you looking for? Are you longing for his coming back to this earth? Are you longing for his presence? Are you longing to be in his presence? I pray, I pray every day. I say, God, come now. Come quickly. I want to see your face. I want to be in your presence. I long to be with Jesus. I long to be in the presence of God. I can't wait. It's not a fearful thing for me. Have I got all my stuff together, my act all together? No. I've, I've messed up multiple times over and over again. But I still long to be with him. Because I know once I'm with him, the drudgery of this life is behind us. And we get to enjoy eternity. We get to enjoy the party. We get to enjoy fellowship with one another. I get to go up to walk to King David and say, what was it like? Whipping that sling and tossing it and knowing that it was going to hit this target. Having faith and knowing that God was behind you. What was it like, Moses, to see the Red Sea part? What was it like, Elijah, as you went and, and you, you told Naaman to go and bathe in the River Jordan, and he comes back cleansed? What was it like, apostles, walking with Jesus, knowing that that was God in the flesh? What was that like? It's going to be an awesome time. What we're studying now is just a precursor. This book that God has given to us, His Holy Bible, is just a precursor of what we're going to get to study and learn about God for the rest of eternity. It's going to be awesome. Learning about our King. And God is literally saying here in verse 9, He says, I want you to rejoice. I want you to shout out loud and pay careful attention to the one who's going to come. To the Jews, they were to pay attention to the coming Messiah that was going to happen just a few hundred years down the, down the way. Be aware, they're coming, he's coming. To us as believers, we look back to what Jesus already came and also to his second coming. So what do we know about this king? What do we know about this one who's coming, who's coming and is coming again? Number one, we know that he's righteous. The Hebrew word there, Sadiq, it speaks of his personal righteousness. That within himself, he holds the moral and spiritual perfection. It's not just that he lives a good life, he walks and goes, he doesn't speed. Kind of hard to speed on a donkey. It's not that he just goes and does good things. He never, he doesn't just, doesn't cuss. It's that within himself, he holds that moral and spiritual perfection that we're supposed to have ourselves as his children. That he alone is a fulfillment of the standards set up by God's law. 613 laws in the Old Testament. If you want to justify yourself to God, you've got to fulfill every one of those 
without fail. And then you can get to heaven on your own merits. For the rest of us, sorry, we don't we missed the mark. We failed the test. It's a pass or fail test. You don't get a 70%, 80%, 90%, 60%. It's pass or fail. If you disobey one rule, one law, you fail. Period. Only God, only Jesus holds with himself the righteous standard to be able to fulfill and did fulfill all 613 of those laws. He upholds what is right as the righteous king. Next, he's been endowed with salvation, scripture says. He's been endowed to bring deliverance to others. He is the king of deliverance. And he's been given the right and the ability and the freedom to give, bring deliverance to us and to the world and the nation. He's humble. And since when does a king enter a city on a donkey? Right? Usually generals, war heroes, they come in and now they come in on the backs of tanks or a limousine. Imagine driving into a city in a Ford Pinto. Or my little, my first motorcycle when I was living in Korea was a little 100cc scooter with gears, like a moped. Riding into a city on something like that now. Oh, hail the, the general, the returning general. <laughs> Jesus came into Jerusalem, rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, the back of a donkey. The conquering hero, humble. In the Near East, the king would, the king would coming in peace would, would come on a war horse. Coming in to show himself powerful. Jesus came on a donkey. He came in gentleness, bringing salvation and peace. Not a, with the sword, but the sword will come. His first time around, he came bringing peace. He didn't come to kick out the Romans. He didn't come to defeat all the enemies of Israel. He came to free us and to defeat sin and death. Next, he's going to bring peace during his reign on earth. It says in verse 10, it says, I will cut off the, the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. The battle bull will be cut off and he will speak peace to the nations. His rule will be from sea to sea, from rivers to the end of the earth. He's going to bring peace to the whole world as he sits on the throne. Beyond the borders of Israel, he's going to speak peace to all the nations. This king, this deliverer. And he's going to deliver Jerusalem from all those that would bring harm to them. His people, his chosen nation. The world's and nations are going to come against Jerusalem and God will come down and free them and save them from the nations that are wanting to do harm to his people. And he will conquer them. Look at verse 11 and 12. It says, I also, and for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you the hope. It's free in Jerusalem. That blood covenant he speaks of goes back to the, refers back to the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenants in the Old Testament. Where God is 
redeeming his people, making them his own. And as Abraham cut the animals in half and laid them out there in this covenant ceremony, covenantal ceremony, and then the Spirit of God walked, went between those animals through the blood trail. And God said, by my name, by my power, by my reputation, I will see my promise fulfilled. Through his blood, Jesus releases the prisoners from that waterless cistern which is written about. He releases the prisoners from that jail. He sets them and us free. What a king. What a Messiah. What a, a Lord who is coming, has come and will come again. We need to be looking forward to it and long for his coming. Don't fear it. If you're a child of God, we don't look forward to it. He is coming again. Do not be deceived. Don't let Satan get you depressed thinking, have you seen what's going on in the government? Have you seen what's going on in our country? Have you seen the wars and rumors of wars all around the world? Jesus said those things have to happen. Those things will happen, but take heart. I will come back. And the angel said, the same way you saw him go, you will see him come back again. It's going to be an awesome sight. He took one up into the clouds, the Mount of Olives. Wait till he comes back as a king so the whole world sees him. It's going to be awesome. That's going to be awesome. I hope I'm here to see it. But if I'm not, I'll be up in heaven going, go, go, God, go, God. This is going to be awesome. You go get him. <laughs> So that's who we're, that's who the Messiah is. That's who we, that's who we worship. That's who we long for. But what's he going to do? The end of chapter twelve talks about the physical deliverance of Israel from those opposing nations. When Jesus comes back to save them. But beyond that, beyond the Battle of Armageddon. And healing, freeing them physically. He's going to come back. And he desires to cleanse us and heal our brokenness. To work within our hearts. To heal us from that which keeps us down. Look at verse chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. He says, On that day, there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and they happen to Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. Two things there. To cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. And on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so they shall be remembered no more. And also I will remove from the land the prophets of the spirit of uncleanness. What's God going to do here? What is he about doing? This is his purpose. When the Messiah comes back, he's going to cleanse the land. He's going to cleanse our hearts from sin and uncleanness. What are all those two things? Sin. Basically, it's anything that separates us from God. Anything that we have done wrong, we missed the mark, we disobeyed God. It's anything that separates us from the love of God. We sin every single day. We are still subject to 
influenced by the old man, even if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in God, a follower of Jesus, we are still subject to the influence of our old nature. We're only subject to the amount that we give it influence. Rather. We don't have to give in. We have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. We can live that perfect life. Did you know that? We can live that perfect life now, but we choose not to. When we sin, we choose not to. It's a willful disobedience to the laws and direction of God. We basically tell God, I'm choosing my way, not your way. And God came to free us of that. When Jesus died on the cross, he came to free us of the natural instinct to show us that we can live differently and to free us from that sin. Uncleanness in, in that passage speaks to the impurity in our lives. Basically, it's anything in our lives that is broken. Anything in our lives that is just broken. And true cleansing of the, these things only happens by the blood of Jesus. Jesus hung there on the cross. His blood shed for you and I. He took upon himself the punishment that you and I deserved. He was beaten. His beard pulled out. Whipped. A crown of thorns shoved down on his head. And those thorns weren't like little tiny rose thorns. They were pretty long. Inch and a half to two inches long each, three inches. So shoved down on his head. His blood flowed for you and I as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins and our uncleanness. See, up to that point, the Jews have been trying to cleanse themselves. They've been going through the purification process, putting on themselves holy water, been making sacrifices, trying to do in their own efforts and have their own ability. Yes, following the law and doing what the law said, but it was only a picture of what Christ was coming to do as the Messiah. Those sacrifices that they offered in the temple, though as they washed their hands in the holy water, it was just a, a ritual purification. It didn't really cleanse them. Only the blood of Jesus shed for you and I can bring true and complete cleansing. Everything else is just a picture of what Jesus was going to do. 1 John 2, 2 says, He is the propitiation of our, for our sins. He's the substitution for our sins, in other words. And not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Every single person in the world who has ever lived, every single person in this world who ever will live, Jesus died for their sins as well. Unfortunately, so few of us choose to accept his gift. You choose to accept the substitution. Even though he died for my friends and some of my relatives, they've rejected God and they choose to live their own way, his blood has not yet covered their sins. See, we have to make that choice. Even though he has died for us, we have to willingly submit ourselves to his lordship. We have to willingly submit ourselves to him. Say, God, I receive 
upon myself. I openly receive the gift of your salvation. I want to receive your blood and your sacrifice. I accept it. When the gift is given to you at Father's Day or Mother's Day or your birthday or Christmas, it just stays under the tree at Christmas time until you reach out and grab it until somebody gives it to you. But then you still got to reach out and grab it and take it. It doesn't just happen to you automatically. As we reach out to receive the gift of God's salvation, our sins are cleansed and we are made whole. The power of the gospel is the power of death, of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. It reaches every part of our brokenness and makes us right with God. That sin and that uncleanness reaches right into that very part. See, the most important reason to come to Jesus, people, is the deep need of sin in our lives. We have messed up over and over again. And without his help, without his cleansing, we're stuck in our sin. We were broken. We're broken before God because of our sin. We should be. The blood of Jesus is the only medicine that's ever going to make us right. Before God, we are broken. Before God, we are sinful. Before God, we are stuck in our sins without Jesus. He was the one who was pierced for our transgressions. It says at the end of verse, chapter 12, verse 10. It says, I will pour out for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him. Again, a reference to Jesus hanging on the cross. When we trust him as our savior, a river of life begins to flow that not only cleanses us from our sins, but also begins to bring healing to all those broken things in our lives. All these areas in our lives that are just messed up. Our marriage, your family, your emotions, other relationships, Brings your finances and puts them in perspective. Any addictions you may have, your outlook on life, those things that are broken within us, God brings healing when we invite Him in to take care of those things. I had a discussion this week with a, a young man, and his relationship with his girlfriend was going sour. I said, you know, first of all, you guys both claim to be Christians, yet you're not walking in Christ. How can this relationship be healed? How can it become unbroken when you're not submitting yourself to God? When you're not giving over to Him your relationship? When you're not giving over to Him your emotions? When you're not giving over to Him those hidden areas of our lives? Yes, you've got your sins forgiven. But you're holding back a little bit of yourself, a part of yourself. We talked a little bit about that last week, how in this idea of authentic faith, we're so good at cutting out portions of scripture to make it fit 
our lifestyle choices, but we do not want to cut out those areas of our lives to make our, our lives match up with Scripture and with God's plan for us. I told this young man, I said, you've got to submit yourself to God. You've got to give over your relationship to Him if you want to find true healing. Don't try to do it yourself. Let Him come in. He's the great physician. Let Him come in and bring healing. doesn't matter what it is. doesn't matter what your brokenness is. God came to bring healing to you. So what does that mean overall for us? It means we come to Jesus with our brokenness. We come to Jesus with our brokenness. God wins in the end. At the Battle of Armageddon, God wins. In the, in the future, when all the nations are rising up against Israel, God wins. On the cross, God won. The Messiah died for you and I. His, his blood was shed for you and I. He won. He defeated sin and death. He cleanses God's people from their sins. He brings that reuniting the relationship with God again. And he also brings healing to our brokenness. Those areas in our lives that need fixing. You bow your heads or close your eyes this morning just for a minute. I know it's kind of a short message this morning, but it's, it's an important one. I want to ask you, where are you in your relationship with Jesus? Where are you in your relationship with Jesus this morning? We've talked a lot about sin. We've talked a lot about the Messiah. We've talked a lot about God's coming again. Where are you in your relationship with him? Have you submitted yourself? Have you given yourself over to the Lordship of Jesus? Have you given yourself over to him the very first time and said, God, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. He wants to come in and bring a healing. He wants to come in and remove that sin from your lives. Have you given yourself over to him? Submitted yourself to him? If not, we're going to pray in a minute. I'm asking you to pray. Pray with me. And give yourself over to him. Secondly, have you given to him those areas in your lives that are broken? We've all got them. Or are you holding something back? A relationship, anger, fear, frustration, finances, emotions, addictions. What are you holding back from him right now? That he needs to come in and cleanse as the mighty physician. This morning, if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, whether here in this room and watching online, you need to recognize you need that forgiveness of sins. I'm going to pray and ask you to repeat, repeat after me the simple prayer that you're giving yourself over to him. Repeat this. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. I know I'm a sinner and I can't free myself of my sin. I need your help. I need the blood that the pastor talked about this morning that cleanses and 
forgives me of my sins. This morning I give myself to you to find that complete cleansing, to find that complete healing. I submit myself to you and commit to following you the rest of my days. I want to know your power. I want to understand your mind. Be freed from all those things that are keeping me trapped. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for becoming my God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Even this morning as you're sitting here and we get ready to sing one last song, you recognize that you have somebody else in your life that you need to pray for. Maybe you've been broken, one of those addictions, the relationship that you need to commit to God. As we sing this final song, I want to invite you to come on up here and pray at the altar. Pray at the front of the auditorium here. Just you committing yourself to God and asking, you, asking God to begin healing to your life. If you want somebody to pray with you, I'll be up here. Mike is here, Regina's here, Sarah's here. We'll be glad to pray with you. Grab one of us and say, would you just pray for me? I need healing. I need cleansing of that brokenness. But as we sing this last song, I want to invite you to come and pray and bring that to God this morning as we sing. Let's stand and sing. You are here.